And the way that I look at an agency too is like, that is your oxygen to be able to continue to figure out and continue to get to that long-term vision that you have is if you can't continue to bring sales in, you're eventually going to die out and you're not all that momentum you had around building a team, it's going to die out. So I'd say sales is the number one role. Like you always got to own sales. What is up agency algorithm listeners? We are back for an incredible episode because I get to now interview one of my best friends, if not the best friend, and our CEO of Structured Studios, Structured Social, Structured Email, Structured Retention, Structured All Things is what it is. As always, you know, I have my man with me, Joshua Johnston, and excited to introduce Jacob Schmidt. Jake, how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing incredible. I'm so excited to be here. I know that you're doing all these different types of podcasts and everything, and I finally get to do one together. Uh, it's going to be awesome. So I'm excited for the audience to listen to what we have to say. Well, it's it's been long overdue, and it, it almost feels like we're going to have like a normal conversation with Josh, able to ask yep. us some of these like prompting questions, and everybody else kind of gets to be like a little bit of fly on the wall, which... We've been getting great feedback. That's kind of what it sounds like. It sounds like a bunch of friends are having conversations about the businesses that they're building and other people kind of get a kind of peek into on these conversations. So um, I'm, I'm stoked. Josh, anything new on your end, brother, before we jump in? Yeah, I'm excited, man. We, we launched the first couple of episodes. I think Taylor's episode just went live yesterday. Uh, and it's been really fun to just get this podcast up and rolling because, um, you know, a lot of people I think have been searching for something like this for a long time. And now it's here. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the funny thing is we, we've been doing this for so many, like Jake, I'll even stop. How long, and I always ask this question, how long do you feel, how long do you feel like you've been in the agency space and how long have you actually been in the agency space? Wow. So that's a big question. Because, I mean, <laughs> agency time is probably a multiple of three. So every year you're in it, it feels like three years with how quickly this space moves. So um, I feel like I've been in it for probably 20 years, but in reality, it's probably been closer to six or seven years. Um, yeah. But along the way, I've seen pretty much everything. I've seen back in the days when Facebook ads, they were just in their, their glory and everything was so easy. You throw a couple ads up and you get uh, four or five X and it was just absolutely amazing, super easy. Uh, and now I've seen where we are today, where things are absolutely harder. But um, with it being harder, I think there's less competition. So it makes it good for the people that really are focused on really driving results for the brands that they're working with. Which to me is kind of funny because where you started with is is something that I still play with to this day, which is the fidget, fidget spinner space. And you have to tell me, so I've always been curious, and we've actually had questions around this. When you launched a fidget spinner, this was like 2016, 2017, right? Yep. You were like, I'm marketing, I'm, I want to stick with product. At what point did it go from, I wanted to sell products that I could own or I could find, make viral and send it? To like, I just want to be in this agency space. I just want to kind of do this marketing for other products that I might not necessarily own. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So when I was a little kid, my dream was always when my parents would ask, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was always, I want to be an inventor. I want to create products. Huh. I want to just create new things. I was so excited about creating new things. And my mom, I was probably, I was driving back from a soccer practice. She's like, oh, what do you want to do now that you're probably 15, 16 years old when you grow up? And I was like, um... I still want to be an inventor, but I want to have a lab where I could just create all these new products and just make cool things that I think people would want. Uh, and I did that to a certain extent. And I had been selling things online since I was probably 16, 17 years old. Uh, and I was kind of scratching that itch on creating new things, bringing it to the world and, and being able to uh, provide value that way for them. 
um, until finally the fidget spinner hit off. And that was like the first big success where it really, really opened my eyes towards the scale that you had online, um, not just yeah. being able to go to a flea market or going to garage sales or selling things that way. Um, and it was really a crazy experience because I'll tell the story. Whenever I had first started the fidget spinner, I had bought an ad on this Instagram account called LMAO. So back in the day, I look at Instagram back then to how TikTok probably is now. And what I mean by that is just yeah. a limited free reach, so much reach. So I had bought this shout out from this account called LMAO um, after creating the video, after getting the product. And actually, the funny thing is, I didn't even have the product sourced at that point. I just had the, the demo product and a video. I wanted to test the audience to see if it would work. And I paid $300 for this, this shout out. And within three hours, it generated $3,000 in revenue, which was unbelievable. And I remember driving to the gym, texting Nick, like, dude, do you remember that thing that we, we talked about? It just made $3,000. And Nick's like, no way. This is crazy. Because this is back when you were still a professional soccer player. Yeah. Uh, and we were both being opened up to this world, which was so, so incredible. Um, so then from there, that wave went up as quickly as it went down with anything. It's what I'm realizing, anything worth having um, and anything that's sustainable for a long period of time. There's a direct correlation in terms of how long it takes you to build and how long it's actually going to last. And I know Nick and I both look at a lot of the things that we that's have nice. going on right now and everything that we've had, it's been taking, it's a grind. It's just slowly compounding year over year. And anything that really just shoots up really quickly, it, ended, it ends up actually just falling back down um, as quickly as it went up. So anyway, fidget spinner went up as quickly as it went down. Um, and I realized at that point, I was like, you know what? I still have this dream of, of working with products, selling products, bringing it to the world. Um, but I didn't really like to deal with the supply chain side of things um, and the product yeah. development and continuing to have this pipeline of new products that we could feed to the customers that want what you're selling. And I remember the biggest reason why and I was a little bit scarred from this, but I had just moved to LA and this was when we were first starting to get a little bit of scale within the fidget spinner. And we had made a purchase order. I think it was like 150,000 fidget spinner units that we were going to be shipping to Best Buy. Um, <laughs> and anyway, we didn't have quality control in China at that point because it was still like a, it was still like we were just, we were figuring out. We didn't really know what yeah, we were doing. Anyway, Justin, who we were partnered with, um, he's like, Best Buy got the units, but they did their own quality control. And unfortunately, the caps that we had, they had lead, they had lead in the plastic. So we weren't able to actually use those units because of that reason. So what we ended up having to do is ship it all back to China. They had to replace the caps. Anyway, long story short, it ended up working out where we didn't lose a ton of money from it. But that was a big thing where I was like, yeah, this is not fun. I don't have control over this. I want to be able to just get a product. And I want to be able to sell that product online and only focus on driving sales. Because to me, I mean, I think we all know like that dopamine rush you get whenever you get that Shopify ting. It's incredible. It's so, so fun. And seeing it in the ad account, checking the data, checking the stats, it's pretty awesome. So from that point on, I really realized that um, a marketing agency or something like that might be what we wanted to do. Um, and from that point, what we decided, Nick and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, What's something that we really like? What's something we can be the best in the world at? And being able to market the fidget spinner the way that we did and able to get that traction um, very quickly, we realized that, wow, we can market. And it really got us excited. So from there, we decided to start an agency because we could realize value creation by building like a big firm 
we could scratch our shiny object syndrome that most entrepreneurs have, where we're constantly working with new products and new projects and checking the data, getting that dopamine hit of, of everything that's happening. Um, and long story short, we actually ended up being pretty good at it. So that's, that's kind of the story so far. It's, it's so funny that you bring this up because like going, I just had a really, and Josh was a part of this too. We had to build this presentation for, uh, most recent affiliate world Dubai. And it was around like our path, our path of like from 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 20, all the way through, like we did a lot of this research and, and, and reflecting back on stuff. And I remember this because what you were able to do with identifying, you're like, hey, Shaq, this is hot. We got to figure out how to sell it. We did and it worked. And then this, this like attention to detail, especially when Facebook ads in 2016, 2017 were more of like how, how trendy the product was or how like, unique the type of creative could be usually dictated how fast it was going to go. This was the glory days of drop shipping, right? And so yep. your ability and my ability to go, this one's going to hit. This magnetic eyelash, this electric light bulb, this dog brush, this thing, these teeth whitening area, like that is what's going to happen. I think that's why a lot of this, this, and even it's still as true as it is today, choosing the product or choosing the brand or business is actually more difficult than a I wouldn't say more, just as difficult as the marketing area to it or, or selling it uh, at this day and age with iOS, all this post um, attribution bullshit that's going on. That choice of product was something that we were always really unique at. And I think even to this day, like you, you now, like, so if, even if you, it's, we're kind of going back and forth, but it, it's important. We did everything, Like we were the client communication we were the media buyer we were the senior we were the junior we were all the things on the acquisition front and i have this feeling today because there's a lot of there's a lot of entitlement there's a lot of people that feel like they are owed something what is your stance what is your opinion on you actually have to know how it works as the senior or maybe like the leader of the department before you else can hire and train around it is this something you, you felt that before is this something you still feel now Oh, absolutely. I do. I think it's such an advantage. Um, but with that, there are caveats to it. Like being able to go in, create a brand, sell a product myself and understand what are all the steps that it actually takes to get this product to the point that it can then be marketed and how much time that takes in addition to going in and then having to market it yourself. So being able to be exposed to that whole process gave me so much insight in becoming that best marketer. Um, because you, you just, you understand the problems, you understand the areas where your customers might be having problems with shipping or other things. And you're able to use that to then communicate to your customers. And that's all we're doing in marketing. It's persuasive communication. That's it. So if you don't understand everything, um, and how it works, it's hard for you to really be super persuasive because you can't have empathy with that customer. Um, so back to your point is like, is it important? It's absolutely important. I know whenever you and I first started, it's like, I look at different stages of the company where it's like zero to 1 million that we did. You and I, we were basically just glorified, yeah. glorified freelancers. Um, I remember going to Shanice's house whenever, whenever I had just moved to LA and we were literally in our ad accounts all day long on Saturday, Sunday, literally every day, just looking, tinkering, changing budgets, doing what we had to do because it was much more manual then. Um, and then we realized, okay. What is the next highest leverage task that we can go and focus on? And I think it's so important for people to understand that whenever you're doing something as like the breadwinner, as the CEO, as the entrepreneur, the founder, whatever it is in your agency, 
someone below you, they're probably not going to do it 100%. And you have to be okay with them being able to do 80% of the job, knowing that you're going to be able to then go to a different area and continue to focus your time on that. And by you focusing your time on that, that's actually going to be at 100%. And it's going to allow you to continue to grow. It's going to allow you to build up your capital. It's going to allow you to do all these different things so that eventually you can go and you can hire someone to do it at 100% Mm. or even better than you. Because there's a point where now, I mean, looking at our media buyers, looking at our growth strategists, people in retention, they are miles ahead of where we ever were. And it was because we were able to delegate at the right time. We were then able to build up our capital. We were able to focus on the highest leverage tax to build the business and then go hire people that were 10 times better than we ever would have been. Mm. So answering the question, I think it's so important for, for you to learn all the roles, but to not get stuck in there. Um, and I know, Nick, I know you have some thoughts on that too, because you sure. were in that point also where it was like, yeah, you were the media buyer. You were doing everything and it took you a little bit to get out of it. But uh, all in all, it worked out so well. I'm just curious, like, were there any specific positions that as you guys were scaling were really hard to let go of because we see this a lot as as founder scale uh, is that there's certain positions that they have a really hard time letting go of. What was that for you? Yeah, I would say the biggest position there is probably sales. Um, I think sales is is the lifeblood of your business. I mean, what do they say? Forget who says this, but sales cures all. And that's seriously true. And the way that I look at an agency too is like, that is your oxygen to be able to continue to figure out and continue to get to that long-term vision that you have is if you can't continue to bring sales in, you're eventually going to die out and you're not all that momentum you had around building a team, it's going to die out. So I'd say sales is the number one role. Like you always got to own sales. I mean, fortunately, Nick was able to uh, transfer media buying and go into, into sales and, and really help that. And that was so, so crucial. Like to be completely honest, if I wasn't able to focus more on the operation side and the client service, whenever we were first starting and Nick was able to go and do the sales piece, the outbounding, building the relationships, I don't think what we had today would be where we are ultimately. So um, I think it's really important that you can have someone that compliments you in wherever it is, where it's that first employee that you hire, whether it's a partner. Um, I think it's so important that everyone understands that you or a partner that you have needs to really, really be focused in on the sales. Yeah. And you know, also to your point, I think one thing that we often see with founders is they start to almost like when they do delegate, they start to lean away from from leadership a little bit because like they're delegating away, right? So their thought is this person can take this department, they can champion it. When it's really the opposite that that needs to happen. We need to lean further into leadership. And it's a, a place where, you know, when we bring someone new, that's, uh, you know, a, a, someone that is getting delegated in an entire department or a specific position. I mean, it's the best time to lean into our leadership and continue to train with that person. It's not the time of like, okay, they have it now. And then all of a sudden we, we run in and start doing, you know, operations. We start and do, uh, you know, sales and all the things that we feel like our time needs to be spent on. We need to spend some time there with that person to get them ramped up because you said 80%, right? Like that's the, that's yeah. the goal of that person. Well, you know, what if we could train with them for a couple months to get them to a hundred percent and then be able to have mm-hmm. them even exceed us at some point. Yeah. No, Josh, that's such a great point. And I see this often. I see this as a mistake. A lot of people make where they're like, I'm going to go hire this role. I'm going to go hire a head of paid media or a head of performance. And then they're like, okay, I hired them. I don't need to spend any more time. When really you're just, you're transitioning from being that individual contributor to becoming the manager and then eventually you get to be the manager of managers or the coach of the mm. players ultimately. 
So I think that is, that's a great call out where you're not fully stepping away. You're slowly stepping away and you're empowering that person that you've hired to become successful in that role and stay on and stay, stay training them um, so that they can still have that guidance. Um, There's a framework that I read somewhere where it was like, whenever you're speaking to a manager, you want to ask them, basically the way that you want to communicate with them is, all right, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Or what do you need my help with? What discussion do you need to have with me so that you can do whatever you're trying to do? Those are the three core things that you need to think about whenever you're having someone reporting to you and helping them to be able to be that best that best uh, position that you had hired for. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love so that, man. Good. Okay, so I have two more questions that were prompted off of you and Josh having these questions, but we're going to hit an ad break real quick. So guys, stick with us. We'll see you in about two seconds, guys. Hey, I also want to tell you guys about uh, our other company called Constant Creative with two Ks. Um, and if you're looking for on-demand editing at any time all around the world at a rate that makes total sense, you guys can find us at constantcreative.com. Okay, so this this is exactly how I anticipated this conversation to go. And I'm so grateful that we were able to have this because in that last just like sprint of, of thought process that we we all just shared together, two things kind of popped out to me. One, being able to lean on a partner or being able to, because at this point, Jake, we, we're, we're pushing, I would say seriously year five of what we've been able to build. And in these past five years, we've been fortunate to have acquihires, acquisitions, and, and just, we've been able to kind of be that platform agency or team to smaller firms that are kind of coming in. And we've seen solo founders and we've also seen partners that we've acquired, we've acquired both of them. And right now, our current makeup is a partnership. And every, and, and even, so this core question to Jake, and then I'm going to have another core question over here to Joshi. I, I personally would not want to do anything without partners because I know my skills. I know what I'm great at. I know where I can deliver. And I know where I am not great. I know where I can't deliver. And so Jake, you and I growing up this whole, this whole time in our space, if it, and I always have this, like this analogy of I'm, I'm this line chef and I'm cooking up and you're the plater and I, and I'll keep throwing it over my shoulder and you're plating it, cleaning it and sending it down the line to put it to the table, which is our customers or which is our clients. And I've always thought about that of like, if I can continue to sell and if I can continue to be that front runner and you're able to be like, okay, here's who needs to operate and grow to it. Do you believe that? being a founder to do the sales and then have to kind of go do the organization, not ideal, ideal. How would you have done it in the past or would you have not have changed it? dude? Yeah. I mean, I don't regret anything that we have. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's awesome what we've been able to build. I would just say for people that are approaching this and deciding if they want partners or if they don't want partners, I think there's advantages to both. I think that by selling and then also having deliver to deliver by yourself, it's going to be a slower process to get to where you're trying to go. But by doing that, you're going to have a much better understanding, which is going to help you sell better. It's going to help you build a team better. It's just going to help you communicate quicker. And that's what that's what it's coming down to is how quick can we communicate and how quick can we um, understand the learnings that we're having as we're going through this process. So I think there's yeah. a lot of value in just doing it yourself. Um, but I think if you're doing it with someone else also, and they're complementing whatever your core skill set is, and it doesn't have to be, it's like, I, I think most people, it's like, I can sell, I can do operations too. Nick can do sell, sales, he can do operations also, but it's just looking at it together. It's like, well, 
if you're, I'm stronger in operations, Nick's probably stronger in sales. Having those come together, you're able to get to that much quicker. So I would say it's it's really a personal choice. I would say if you want to go quick and you want to build something longer lasting, I think there's a lot of value in having partners for sure. Um, so I would say there's not there's not a right answer. And to answer your last question, is would I change anything that we've done? No, absolutely not, because it's been incredibly successful for us. And um, I'm so excited about the future and what we're able to continue to build. Jake, Jake think about it like this. So we have we we did the acquisition of um, Balance back in the day, and then and then Loop Club. Both of those were unique, right? Like Balance, Balance was partners, and Loop Club was mainly Tim, right? Do you mm-hmm. do do you see the integration stage or the ideology stage any different of like a team that had multiple partners with the different influences versus one founder and one one way of doing things? Any any difference so far of integration as you've been a huge spearhead of that? Yeah, so that's actually a really interesting question. Um, what I see, if you're a solo founder or you're there's just one person really running it, I think it forces you to get better at delegation quicker because it's impossible huh. for one person to do everything. Like it is truly impossible. And it's it really makes you hyper aware that I have to hire good people or this is not going to work. So I think there's a massive, massive, massive advantage of that. I think that there's also a lot of room for error where if you think you're hiring the right person and then all of a sudden it's not the right person and you waste all this time and you have to jump back down, again, it's a slower process because you're going to be, it's up, down, up, down, up, down, that type of thing. Um, so I think there's a lot of room for error. Mm-hmm. In terms of having a partnership, I think that's, I think it's great, but I think it also can make it so that one of the partners can be over overly reliant on whatever role that they're playing. Um, and it makes it harder yeah. to grow an organization quicker. So those are the two differences that I see. Um, I think I think both of them are fixable, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it, it's really, really, really interesting to see other companies and how they come in and integrate and how they want to be involved. Um, a lot of learnings, and it's and it's been so exciting to see that and be able to build with with these incredible people. Jo- and Josh, I'll throw this to you because y- you're working with a lot of. I would say that a lot of the people that are you're, you're you're in the trenches with seem to be solo is this a trend is this just like a a phase or or i i feel like i the more agencies i see and I, obviously you're close to this the more i see it was like one person then their team is this accurate yeah you know we see we see a mix of i would say it's about 50 50 about 50 percent of the agencies that we normally work with they have some sort of partnerships in place with other people right they they're not just a solo founder the other 50 percent are solo founders but what we kind of find out is that at a certain point, kind of to, to what Jake said, is like you kind of need someone else to champion another part of the business. It's just it's too much for just a single person to champion. And so that's what we kind of see is like there's like this this tipping point. It even happened with me because, you know, when I started the consultancy, yeah, I told myself, in. hey, I'm, I'm going to do this solo. And then we started growing a little bit. And then we got to a point where I was like, I can't do this by myself. And that's where I brought my partner on Nicholas. And, and, you know, from there, we just started skyrocketing because I didn't have to champion, you know, so much of the responsibility from sales fulfillment, all of these, like, it's just a balancing act, right? And so for me, like, finding the right partner is, is very crucial. And I'm kind of curious from your guys' standpoint, I would love to hear from both of you on this is, 
when you guys are kind of like vetting partners, because you guys have done a decent amount of acquisitions now, you have multiple partners inside a structure. Like, what's some of that criteria you look for? Uh, because I think a lot of our listeners, you know, a majority of them are gonna are going to probably be looking for partnerships at some point in time if they're solo right now. And I'm curious because you guys have a lot of partnerships. Yeah. What is some of that criteria you look for in a great partner? Whenever someone asks this, I always think about the uh, Naval quote where it's basically saying you have someone who's hardworking, smart, but doesn't have integrity. That's the absolute worst combination because they're hardworking, they're smart, but they're eventually going to probably screw you over somehow. And you absolutely don't want that to happen. So to that point, I think the number one characteristic is the integrity that they have and making sure your ethics, your morals are aligned with them because that can cause so much tension going forward once things actually get serious and there can be big problems that arise from it. So I would say that's like the number one thing, making sure they're aligned with that. More tactical, I guess, is making sure that there's some sort of clause in contracts where either person can get out and it's already predetermined. Um, a contract is basically for the divorce rather than for the actual marriage. So understanding that and making sure you're thinking about all the worst case scenarios prior is so important for a successful relationship. So then that way, you don't have to worry if something does end up happening. How do you vet for integrity? I'm just curious. That's that's a really good question. And I, I don't have a, a perfect answer for that. I would just say it's just using your gut and speaking to them, just talking to them and understanding how they think about things is really important. Just giving scenarios like, okay, what would you do in this situation if we came up to this? Um, like a question, I can't remember where I, where I listened to this, but anyway, it was like, if everyone was, if everyone was cheating and you knew you weren't going to get caught and only way you could win was if you were cheating, would you still cheat or not? And asking that to understand okay, what type of person are you? I think there's things that you could do like that, but really it's not, there's not, you just have to use your gut and like you're never going to be 100% on anything ever. Um, yeah, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. It takes trust by both people. I got a good, I got I got great on this one because I, I would say, and this is like, I've been given a couple gifts in my world, in my life. One is to grow hair. Like if I could get paid to grow hair, like I'd be the richest dude in the world. <laughs> like I just shaved this morning. So I need not. some of that. Um, yeah, I'm like, let's go. Yeah, we both do. <laughs> my 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 whole life has literally been partnerships and relationships. Like Jake and I've been together, and I and literally like there's there's very there's very few people in my life that I, I consider anyone closer than Jake. And we've gone through a lot of things. I have like a criteria of relationship that I'll I'll talk to you about that I think really allows you to understand integrity before i get into that that list is like there was there was maybe three people two people actually that knew everything about me from the financials to personal to fears to everything and it was shanice and jake those are the two people and we've been doing this for over 10 years together doing something and so when you look at this criteria of understanding integrity you actually have to get into scenarios together to where you have to question their their integrity like you can't I think the questions are important, but until you're feeling it and in it and understanding it, it's different. So there's depths of relationship. One, you have similar interests. You guys can have conversations about things. You guys can share things. Then you have similar beliefs, whether it's religion, whether it's the way that you live your life, whether it's the way that you run your personal relationships, your romantic relationships. And then you go into a, a loss and a gain. You have a monetary gain, significant, and you have a monetary loss, significant. You're both experiencing that together. And then lastly, you go into some sort of 
traumatic, positive or negative instance where it was affecting you personally, maybe something tragic happened in your life or something incredible happened in your life all the way through. And the levels of relationship that you get to experience that with that person is just more, um, more, more connective tissue with each other. And the more you get to see that and put each other in those scenarios, the more you realize I don't have to question this. And, and this is something back from Taylor holiday. If you're able to turn your brain off on a specific topic, which that's what Jake and I did all the way to this point, sales business coming in cool fulfillment of clients coming in cool if you can turn your brain off this feeling of i got i'm okay i just have to focus on what i have to do means you can go so much faster and when you think about it in that manner you start looking at your current relationships like oh wow i actually haven't experienced xyz with this person no wonder why we're not as close anymore or i haven't talked to so-and-so in a while no wonder why i haven't talked to them in a while because you don't have that extra layer of connectivity and that's something i've used forever because i've I solely believe if I can sit in a position of building relationship and building partnerships, everything else will work itself out. And Jake and I have actually been in into scenarios where it was integrity. And I'll, I'll share one specifically with him that we happened a year or so ago. It was a very famous car company that was going to hit the um, hit the market. Very famous. No need to talk about it here. I gave my word. I was like, look, I have to do this because I promised I would do it. And in that manner, it meant that, that would be Jake and I do. And he goes like, look, that's not what I'm about. I don't believe in it. I can't be a part of that. And I go, okay, well, I gave my word, so I have to follow through with it. And that was that was significant cash for the for the firm. That was that was important. That was that was helpful, right? And he goes, no, that's not what it's about. And I go, okay, respect. I'm going to continue to follow through. Turns out, it, it was better to not have followed. It, we shouldn't have been a part of it, and it was the right decision to not have it on the firm for X Y Z reasons. And there's there's been so many of these instances that it's happened. And that's how I know that when it comes down, when it comes down to the decisions that need to be made, especially for the growth of the firm, as we go into different stages, there's no better person to kind of be at the helm of it as Jake. And we, we've gone back and forth on this. And we actually just went through an incredible conversation about like, hey, brother, this is where you should focus. And this is where I'm going to focus. And this is the direction we're going in. And that, and that getting reaffirmed on that alignment of direction is so necessary. Can I share one small thing? that I utilize love to, to vet, vet for integrity is how how someone talks about other people. So one thing that this is actually a really great interview question. I'll ask about previous experiences and see how they'll speak about previous employers. Uh, and then also I'll just listen for how people talk about other people, right? I think gossip is one of the easiest things to do as a human being is talk poorly about someone else when they're not around. And I have this principle written down inside of one of my notebooks. Honestly, I'll probably get it tattooed on myself at some point, but it says... Let's uh, go. It says, <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, it says, um, I don't gossip. That's low-level energy. Uh, and I think it's one of the most important principles to hold tight to the chest because how they speak about other people is probably similar to how they will one day speak about you. And I think that's a true test of integrity when, when the person they're talking about isn't around, how do they speak about them? Even if even if they did you know, hurt them in a bad way, uh, that's yeah. how I vet for integrity a lot of times is I just listen to how people speak about other people that aren't there. Yeah, I love that. That's that's like a a must. I feel like that's just like if if I want anybody in my circle, that's something that they have to be about. And even even as we like I'll, I'll end it with like this core question because we are actually I'll, I'm going to Schmidt, I'm going to throw this to you on this one. We're entering a different stage 
of structured, right? Like we're entering a, a different stage of growth. The economy's in a different situation. The the brands and businesses are in different situations. Outlook on agency growth at the level that we're at versus, so yeah, all, all of that outlook on 2023-2024, both from an organizational structure and a market growth opportunity at a size like ours. And I'm going to reframe a second question to you. What do you think? Yeah. So what do I see the industry? Where do I see the industry going? Oh, thank you. I, I understand why I wasn't clear on this. Right now we are full service. We are paid media. We are search, search social content, retention, SMS. We do all the things. We have all the offerings versus I'm a TikTok agency. I'm a email agency. If you had to choose all things being equal, where is your brain? Like I'm going towards this direction. What would you be at right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So in the industry, I think, especially going into uncertain times, it's going to be really important that you're really, really good at whatever your services are. And from our point of view, we're very good at paid media, retention, and CRO because we made acquisitions to be able to be the best in class for them and bring in the right people to speed that process up. So we're very good at that. And the biggest thing that I see between a successful brand and not successful brand, it's the speed of execution and how cohesive their strategy is and how well does everything work together. So going into 2023, even 2024, our goal is to work with brands across multiple different services because we can have all of the people on our team communicating together and have a very fast execution timeline as well as a cohesive strategy to make sure everything is working together and it's all about the small margins going into 2023 and 2024. In the past, you didn't have to worry about that as much, where you could rely entirely on the back of Facebook ads or TikTok or whatever it is, and you didn't really have to worry about your retention strategy. You didn't have to worry about conversion rate optimization, these different things. So as there's smaller margins, it's harder to communicate to multiple different people. So our goal going into 2023 and 2024 is how do we get all services amongst structure? Um, and yeah. it's not about a quantity play. It's just about the quality of brands that we're wanting to work with mm. ultimately. Um, I also think that the industry is changing so from a percentage of spend model to be something more along the lines of, hey, how am I bringing you the results? And I'm also saving you costs. So looking at what would it cost to build this internal team or what would it cost to work with three or four different agencies that have to do a percentage of spend model because they don't have that operational efficiency yet by having multiple services and margin across multiple services. Um, making it so it's a win-win from them. They're spending less with us than they would um, if they were to go build it internally. They're spending less with us than if they were to go build it, um, if they were to go to an individual agency doing one channel and so forth. So I'm really, really optimistic about the future. And I think that there's going to be a lot of agencies that don't have that mindset or they, they've continued to fall in the old ways of habit. And the ones that don't pivot, the ones that don't adapt and really get excellent at their craft, lean and fit and clean all the fat out, they're the ones that are ultimately probably not going to make it through this next cycle that we're going through right now. Dude, this is so, it's funny because I was thinking about it, but you said it much more eloquently. Whether you offer everything or whether you offer one thing, just be very fucking good at that thing. Be very good at that. And this, there's a, there, dude, I, I'm, you and I will be the first to say is at one point, we had some of our services were not perfect. Like at one point, we were not best in class. And so what we what did we have to do? You either acquire or you hire. 
And when we're looking at the hiring, we're like, okay, well, we need more, we need better, we need quality, we need people that are bought into the agency world. We got to go find them. And we got fortunate, right? We have we 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 went and found the deals that made sense, and we got the best in class of that service. And now, as we have that cohesion of getting people kind of on fully on the same page and operating under the structured way, bro, it is so important, so important because what happened in 2020, 2021, where a lot of a lot of businesses that were built but were not good businesses being built. I'm gonna let that drop for a second, right? That if, if that ain't a soundbite, I don't know what a soundbite is. But if that that is that is the area that the people that ended up picking up all the slack or the end of the people that get all get cut off were the agencies trying to service them. Were the people that are trying to make it work. The brands themselves weren't the people necessarily trying to make it work because they weren't marketers. They weren't growth. They found a cool thing, like, cool, this made sense. Let's work. Hire agency XYZ to try and make it go to go to the moon is what we're so used to hearing. But the way that you just framed it is actually very unique because a lot of people still think about it, especially if you're jumping into the game, especially if you're newer, how much margin can I get on this email or how much percentage of spend can I get on this uh, acquisition channel? It's That's not the game. That's not what 2023 is about. I don't think it's about how much spread you can get from individual brands. It's trying to communicate to them like what you said. We are going to deliver incredible quality. We're going to charge accordingly for that quality. And at the end of the day, it's still going to be cheaper than what you've been able to do if you had to train, onboard, and bring them in-house. And that's I, I, I fully agree with that. Completely. Shaq's hoodie literally says, master your craft on it. That's how serious yes, he is about this. I am. This, this, I did not know we we're going this direction, but man, it must have been, must have been evoked through the, the presence of this, these words. But I am. Look, I, I think Jake and I, we're, this might have to be a P2, dude. We might have to drop a P2 on this one 100%. But Jake, I know you have plenty going on. It's, it is, it's middle. Today, I think is actually, both of you guys should be pinched because today is uh, St. Patrick's Day and you have no green on either of you. So if you don't have any green. Hey, this I'm is green sure actually. I, no way. Dark green. This is green. It's dark green. <laughs> yeah, it's green. You, gotta, you, better, you better get with the program, boys. But I'm going to throw some on after this. I'm I'm so grateful for you spending time with us today. Um, I think there was a lot, a lot of incredible things that came out of this nuggets. Joshua, as always, great to see you. And for those listeners, you guys know where to find us. Apple Podcasts, keep the good times rolling. If you have other marketers, other people within agencies, we've gotten good feedback of like, even if you aren't an agency owner looking to build an agency, but you work in an agency, a lot of great conversations are coming out of this. So I hope, hope we get more comments and, and engagement from you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We'll catch you guys again on the next agency outgroup. Peace.